All right, the prelim card opens up with a strawweight battle between two female fighters. It's a 115-pound division. You've got the American Sam Hughes, who goes by Sam Page. She's 7-5 overall, 2-3 in her last five fights out of Everett, Washington, 30 years old. 5-5 five, five in height with a 80, well, I'm sorry, 64 and a half inch reach. 84 and a half would be incredible at this size, right? 64 and a half inch reach out of Fortis MMA up against Jacqueline Amarim. For some reason, I said Jacqueline's name and I couldn't, I was like calling her Jacqueline. I feel like I was the guys from uh, P and Keel. Anyway, um, Jacqueline Amarim, who goes by Jockey, uh, 6-0 undefeated, very impressive out of a good gym, ATT in Florida, 27 years old, 5'3 in height with a little bit more of a reach there with 67 and a half reach and about a two inch uh, height disadvantage. But I don't think Jacqueline's going to be shorter than Sam Hughes. I mean, these numbers on Tapology, they give us an estimate on their size. I think they're about the same size. As for Tapology, the votes coming on Tapology are on the side of Amarim, 88% for the Brazilian, only 12% coming in for Jacqueline, for, I'm sorry, for Sam Hughes. We like Sam Hughes to win at plus 350. That's the spot we're on. That's what the price is at for her to win by decision. As for Jacqueline, the, the Brazilian fighter, a good grappler, excellent submission skills, no question about that. Look at her resume, you'll see. She secures submissions now in five of her six wins, only six total fights, right? So that's impressive, a very high finish rate. The one fight she didn't submit the girl, she knocked her out in like 10 seconds, literally 10 seconds. So she's got some striking as well. It's maybe the weaker part of her game, but she's making improvements there. And she's at ATT, one of the best gyms in the world, right? Now, though we appreciate her finish rate and the undefeated record, right? This is still her UFC debut. She's a debutante. And we know there's a lot of pressure. How many times have we seen a favorite come in as a debutante and they kind of drop the ball, right? Also on top of that, right, you've got a fighter she's going up against who's a lot more experienced. Sam Hughes, I mean, two and four record in the UFC, we'll talk about that in a second, but she still has more experience in the UFC, has been around a little bit longer, has fought more total fights, right? Now, moreover, with our girl Jacqueline from Brazil, she's faced a very light schedule. I mean, you can't even compare her schedule to our girl here, Sam Hughes. For example, the combined record of the people that Jacqueline has fought is 11-15-1. And, and five of those six opponents, right, five of the total people that she fought, had a record either at or below 500. So she just has not fought competition, even though she's taking care of business and doing her job, just we don't know what she's up against when she fights somebody who's better. And Sam Hughes, I would say, is a, is a level up, right? Now for Sam Hughes at this price tag, it's gonna be an attractive dog play. Of course, you have the people just like, oh, it's, it's dog or pass for all females. Well, we're doing an actual analysis here, and based upon our analysis, it's not just that she's a good dog, she's got legit paths to victory. We'll talk about it here. So we can't blame the public for taking a shot, this is an educated shot, though. We do like her to win this fight. Sam is only 30 years old. That kind of surprised me. I'm like, you know, I thought she was older. No, she's not that old. At 30 years old, still making improvements, getting better. She's won now. Well, I'll talk about that in a second here. But she has significant strength of schedule over her opponent, Amram, right? And she's been fighting now good competition all the way back, going back to her amateur days. She fought... Uh, Lupita Godinez as an amateur and, lo and lost to her by a split. So she's been fighting in competition now for a while. Now, here's this little point I wanted to make about Sam Hughes. In her last three fights, she's been an underdog. Every single fight. She was plus 125 in her fight against Elise Reed, plus something against someone else. I forgot, but she's been a plus money dog in her last three fights. And guess what? She's 2-1 in that stretch. So for some reason, the books are like overlooking her, overvaluing her opponent, and maybe that's happening again. Is the market maybe overlooking her again and looking at somebody else and just for some reason, the money's coming in the wrong side? I don't know, just putting it out there. We're confident that Sam can keep this fight close at the least. And look, if it's just close, that might be good enough for us to get to a split, get to some scorecards, eh, a little, little melee, you know, judge doesn't see something, that kind of thing. So in that situation, with this kind of plus money, with a fighter who's just making their debut, it's like, this is the shot. Here's a dog shot you want to take, right? Sam doesn't do anything great. She's not elite at grappling, not elite at striking, Doesn't not going to wow you with some kind of question mark kicks. 
but she does everything okay. She's solid everywhere. As a matter of fact, even on the ground, I could see her being in some trouble spots here with Jacqueline, who's very good on the ground, has some mission ability. But Sam is tough. I mean, she's, she's held her own against some, I think, better fighters. She's lost those fights, but held her own, went the full distance. And when it comes to on the feet, it's our humble opinion that we think Sam Hughes actually has a striking advantage over uh, Jacqueline Amarim. Now, as for Amarim, this is not going to be the first time that she's in UFC. Okay, whatever. She's never been past the first round. It's a fact that I came across late in the, in the breakdown. I'm like, she's never been to round two. Okay. This is the way we found out what she's making of. You're telling Sam Hughes throughout the camp, listen, our cardio, we're going to have our cardio up, test this young girl out, drag this fight to round number two, forget about winning round number one. Just do whatever it takes in round one to stay safe. Get this young girl to round two and round three. We haven't seen her round two. So from that standpoint, we can't judge her cardio. We assume her cardio is going to be pretty good. So for Sam, the path of victory is going to be a drawn-out fight, winning the volume batter, winning the striking exchanges. Now, maybe getting hit a few times, okay, Hopefully not getting too much damage on her face, but if she could win the striking exchanges and put enough volume and pace, which she's pretty good at, then that's how she sneaks out a win. What if this girl gets tired in round two? What if she gets to, you know, a mental break where it's like, oh, I haven't finished her. I usually finish my fights in round one. I'm not ready for round two, round three. So that's the formula for Sam Hughes, right? Take this fight to round two, take it longer. If the fight gets to the ground, Sam needs to defend submissions, of course, and get back to her feet. Um... But a ground fight clearly favors the Brazilian. I do want to make sure I say that. I think Sam Hughes is okay in the ground, but she's not quite as skilled as this Brazilian girl with high finish rate. The fight needs to be on the feet. So Sam Hughes could defend a few takedowns, get back up, drag this to round two or three, and show her veteran savvy. We might see her pull off another underdog win in her, what, this will be now her fourth straight fight in a row as an underdog. UFC's, look, UFC's not maybe trying to get rid of her, but she's at that point, you know, two and four in her last six fights. It's not a great record. She lost her first three UFC fights in a row when she first came into the UFC. So in essence, she's maybe fighting for her contract. I think she comes out here and fights her ass off and gives us a good show. And because of that, we're going to take a shot at her as a dog to win. Now, the spots we like from a betting perspective, here they are. The fight going over a round and a half at minus 250. Hughes by decision at plus 350. Amarim by decision at plus 175. Amarim by submission at plus 120. The market's telling you right there they have that as one of the most highest likelihood wins for Amarim is by submission. And again, what, five of the six wins by submission. We'll also be forced to sprinkle the split decision props. I think this card will have a ton of splits on it just based upon the close nature of some of the fights female fight you know the judges are under a ton of scrutiny i, I feel like you're going to see maybe some draws come out in this card uh you have judges just handing in like 28 28 cards like i don't know who won i don't want to get nobody blaming me so i do see a close fight guys closer to the money line suggests and we're going to take a shot here at the veteran sam hughes to win let's move on next up we have steve garcia versus shalin nurembeke this is a featherweight bout 145 pounders mr garcia is 13 and 5 overall three between his last five fights He's the American out of New Mexico. Currently, the dog here listed as a plus 17500 dog compared to Shaolin. You can get him at minus 225. Uh, Garcia is 30 years old in 10 months, so about to be 31. Six foot high with a 73 inch reach, and he's out of Jackson Wink MMA. Also, does some trading at Lutrol's MMA. As for Shaolin, who's out of the China top team gym, 49 total fights in mixed martial arts. He's actually fought a few more, I believe, in some custom bouts, but like the guy has fought somewhere close to almost 50 total fights. Clearly a veteran of the sport, but only 28 years old in, in uh, 11 months. So about to be 29, lots of experience. Four of his last five fights. He is the proverbial favorite here. 5'8", giving up about two and a half to three inches here to Garcia in height with a 69-inch reach, giving about four inches up in reach as well. So there's an advantage right there, size alone for Garcia. As for the numbers on topology, the votes coming in here are on the side of Nudenbeke, 87% to be exact, 13% coming in for Garcia. 
I think there's some recency bias here, guys. I will tell you this. At first glance, we were looking at Shaolin as the winner. We're going with Garcia to win the fight by decision. That's plus 350. But yes, at first glance, you know, recency bias. He kicked Derek Mine in the leg, blah, blah. But once you start peeling back layers here, we found ourselves clearly going to the side of Garcia, and I'll tell you why. The biggest indictment on Shaolin's game is the negative striking ratio. Yeah, he lands 2.17 strikes per minute, but he absorbs 2.93. And again, a guy against like Steve Garcia, who's a bit of a wild man, kind of comes forward, throws all kind of shit at you, um, pretty high volume striker. That's not a good recipe. Now you'll say, oh, well, Shaolin could do some wrestling. 48% takedown defense, gets reversed in the ground. Garcia's got 100% takedown defense. You're just kind of saying. So when you look at the numbers, it, it looks at like, it looks better for Garcia. And when it comes to wrestling, watch some of Shaolin's bouts. Like he'll take someone down and then he gets reversed and it's up on his back. So for Garcia, if the fight goes to the ground, I don't think he's in trouble. I think he could still handle his business there. Garcia averages just under two takedowns per fight of his own. 1.76 to be exact. Has good striking. Now, look at the volume here. 5.15 strikes landed per minute. Not a mathematician. I think that's double 2.17 though, right? They're both entering the UFC for the fifth time. So, experience-wise, in the cage in the UFC, they're equal. Now, again, Shalon Nerdebeka has, what, like 50 fights, right? Some of those fights were, like, literally just... Let's just say low competition, halfway over the world, we don't know. But in UFC world, where we have both these guys fighting the same amount of time, their experience level is similar, their age is similar. So that number for Shaolin, all these fights, that could also dissuade some people and think, oh, this guy's much more experienced. Uh, he kicked Derek Minner in the first round, knocked him down. We all know the Derek Minner fight was under the auspices of a very questionable situation or circumstances. We have to just let that fight go. My man, Jalen Brunner-Becca, is not known for finishing anyone in the UFC, that is. He's got, what, four, three, four fights, has finished no one except for that guy. All the other fights went to decision, right? So, kind of, like, get rid of that one. You know what I'm saying? So, both end of the cage for, the, like I said, fifth time. Shaolin is very durable, so we don't see Garcia finishing him. Looking at the record of Shaolin, you'll see the guy's only been finished, I think, a few times. We do see Garcia landing more strikes, though, along with getting the better of the wrestling exchanges. If the fight hits the ground again, I think Garcia reverses position, gets his own takedowns, he's more dominant, has more... More everything, right? The betting spots we like the most for this fight are going to be the over one and a half rounds at minus 160. Fight starts round number three. That prop price is not available yet. Garcia by decision at plus 350. Shylin by decision at plus 300. We're going to end up speaking the, the split props here because, again, a lot of these fights in this card are just so evenly matched. And if you have a favorite, Shylin Udebeka, he's Asian. There's some narratives there. I mean, UFC wants more Asian fighters. They have a whole market they're trying to tap into. Um, now you got him here favored when it should be a pick em price. We get to the judges' scorecards. Maybe there's an Asian judge. I don't. I don't know. I'm just painting the picture for you guys. We've seen some really weird shit recently. Um, so just consider all circumstances here. But we do think it might go to a split. We're gonna go with Garcia by decision at plus three fifty. Let's move on. Up next, we have a catchweight bout: Trey Ogden, the American who goes by the Samurai Ghost, versus Ignacio Bahamundes, who goes by La Cuala. Now Bahamundes is from Chile, but now based in the states. Hasn't fought in about a year. He's a young guy. We'll talk about that. That's my one of my big question marks about him. Why the long layoff? Anyway, catch weight about 160 pounds. We're going to go with Ignacio Bahumunas to win this fight, and specifically by a decision. That's at plus 160. I was hesitating because I wasn't sure by into the distance, but my notes say decision. I'm going to go with my notes here. I do think there's a chance Ignacio could finish Hogden. And, and same thing, Ogden has good submission ability, but you can find Ignacio in some trouble too. But I think it is a close match. Another fight that probably goes to the scorecards, super close, and maybe ends up in a split, right? Okay, the details in these two guys here, Ogden, 16-5 and five overall, former in his last five fights. He's a dog here around plus, let's say, plus 260 range out of Kansas City, Missouri, 33 years old, 5'11 in height with a 72-inch reach out of Marathon MMA. 
Ignacy's out of VFS Academy, 75 and a half inch reach. That's three and a half inches of a reach advantage there for Ignacio and about a four inch height advantage for Ignacio as well. Ignacio is only 25 years old, so eight years younger than his opponent here. Again, now based out of Chicago, he's the favorite here at minus two, minus 350. Wow, it's grown. That's concerning. Uh, that is a concern. If you want to take a shot at the dog, I would say Ogden is one of the guys that should be on most people's radar because he's pretty good. He's um he's already tackled and fought some guys in the UFC that are okay, guys like Jordan Levitt. He lost a fight by split, but some people thought he won that fight. Anyway, let's jump into our breakdown here in our notes. We like Ignacio to win the fight by decision at plus 160. Trey Ogden is a solid fighter overall with good submission skills. 10 of his 16 victories have been via submission. He averages one takedown per fight and will surely look to get the fight to the ground at some point. Now, on the feet, Ogden gives up a few inches in height and reach. Not to mention, Ogden's also got a negative striking ratio. Hold on to that thought for a second. Negative striking ratio for Ogden, right? A stand-up affair is not the smartest idea for Ogden, obviously. Ogden's offensive submission skills are tremendous, yet he has been submitted himself three times. So kind of weird. Good offensive submission skills, weak defense, that shouldn't matter this fight. Uh, Baja Muniz is not a submission guy. He's a stand-up kickboxer, Muay Thai type of fighter. As for Ignacio, comes into this fight after a, a, just about over a year layoff. We're thinking that in that year, he's made some improvements. He's gotten better. He's 25 at a good gym. So that's where we're hoping. But again, it's a long time off, right? His biggest problem is getting hit too much, right? Absorbing 5.03 strikes per minute. That's a lot. Now, that's way more than the average for Trey Ogden. So I don't think it's going to be a big factor. But he does get hit too much, which results in him bleeding a lot this guy cuts very easily watch some of the prior fights of this guy he's a bloody mess it's going to be his achilles heel throughout his entire career he's got like that nate diaz gene where you know he's a he's a tough kid he fights through it but he cuts really easily and for 25 the scar teachers already already there and maybe that's why they took a long layoff maybe to do something with some skin therapy or, i don't know because again the kid cuts really badly and and being a bleeder if the fight's not stopped that's one thing but it goes to the scorecards, and that could bite you in the ass. You know what I'm saying? So just something to mention there. Ignacio's height and reach are a big advantage here. He's already a fighter who likes to work at range, like long kicks, long legs. If he keeps his fight on the outside, a guy like him who's averaging 8.33 strikes per minute compared to 3.73 for Ogden, that's a lot more. It's almost triple the amount of strikes. He's going to be a, a lot more pace, a lot more volume, had a full year, prepared, get stronger, get better, should be a better version of himself. And not to mention, Ignacio's takedown defense is 95%. It's actually pretty good there. Now, Ogden has one takedown per fight, but one takedown could do two things. It could win a round for Ogden. It maybe leads to a submission. So that one takedown could be the, the difference in this entire fight. At the same time, if Bahamundas, with that long frame, can get the legs apart, you know, kind of straddle out and defend the takedowns and force this fight on the feet, he walks away with the victory here easy. And at minus 350, will look like the going away favorite, no problem. But, 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 Ogden's no slouch. I would not be parlaying Bahamundas at minus 350 with a ton of confidence. It's imperative that he still executes a few important things in this fight, staying off his back. Not bleeding too much, been a long layoff. And for Ogden, a bit more active recently. So, you know, there's reasons to like Ogden here. But we are going to go with Bahamunas to win the fight by decision. That striking volume at range, head kicks, volume, just, again, winning the volume battle. That's just the bottom line. So now, the bets we like the most here are the fight going over a round and a half at minus 200. Ignacio by decision at plus 160. Ogden by decision at plus 500. Because if, if he were to pull this off, get some takedowns, get some control, make it ugly, we could see a judge or two valuing the position control. All right, so that's why we're on that prop as well. And then Ogden by submission is plus 600. Got to look at that. You know why? Because that's one of his main ways of winning fights. Now, Ignacio's kind of, we don't know much about him in the submission game. He's obviously a stand-up fighter, but I would definitely sprinkle that submission prop there for Ogden if you're looking for a way that he wins to fight submission. Okay, 
Last but not least, we're going to sprinkle the, the splits. You're going to hear that a lot through this entire breakdown. A lot of these fights are going to be going to splits. We just have to find the right ones. So we'll sprinkle both sides along. The prices are okay. They're not out yet. When they come out, we'll hit them. If you want details on our full tip sheet, you've probably heard this before, go and look at our newsletter. You can either go look at the newsletter or subscribe to it. Either way, that's full access for you guys. The first link down below here in our YouTube video description here, you'll see a link there for our Substack newsletter. Subscribe to it, it's totally free. You get a full written breakdown of what we're doing here in a video format, but in a written breakdown, right to your phone if you have the Substack app, which is free, or to your email, you can review it there. And on top of that, you get the full tip sheet for this entire fight card. Now that tip sheet, there's a few things we can't complete until like Wednesday or Thursday because there's just some areas of the game that are not completed, right? The, the split props won't be out until maybe Thursday. But our tip sheet can be updated throughout the week. So can our newsletter. Like if we have a fight cancellation, for example, we'll remove that from the newsletter and, and update it accordingly. So, but anyway, subscribe to our newsletter. It's the best thing you can do today for yourself, for your MMA uh, resources. It's free. It's comprehensive. It has some research tools in there as well, our Excel sheet, whatever else. So, but that's where you can find our full final bets here on this fight. But again, for this breakdown, we're telling you we like Baja Munis to win the fight by decision. Let's move on. All right, moving up the card. We have the second of three female fights in the prelim card. Strawweight bout, 115 pounders. Cynthia Calvillo versus Lupita Godinez. Before we get into the details of this breakdown, we'll tell you we like Godinez to win this fight by a split decision. We'll tell you exactly how we think that happens, but we do like her to win the fight by a split. Now, at minus this 300 range she's at right now, you're probably not thinking you want to bet on her as a parlay piece if we're thinking it's going to be that close. And we're telling you, this fight has all the makings of that Macy Barber, Andrew Lee fight all over again, guys. And so we'll talk about it in detail, but we like Godinez to win this fight by a split. As for their background information here, Lupita goes by Lupi, 8-3 overall, 3-2 the, the last two fights. Again, big favorite here, minus 300. Originally from Mexico, that's her nationality, but has not been, I think, growing up in the United States for most of her life. That's just, I think that's the that, that's her story. I could be wrong. Well, now she's out of British Columbia. I'm sorry, Canada. She relocated to Canada, but originally from Mexico. And you know right now, the Mexican fighters are hot. Like, they're they're on, they're on a roll. So just something to consider, right? So 29 years old, 5'2 in height with a 61-inch reach out of Titan MMA. So height and reach-wise, I did take a note of this. Calvillo, I don't think of her as being a very tall fighter, but Lupita is kind of small. And so there'll be a 3-inch reach advantage there for Calvillo and also a 2-inch height advantage. We'll see how that plays out. And again, for Lupita, if you don't know her style, she's more of a wrestler, a grappler. Averages like 4.54 takedowns per fight. That's really where she gets her bread buttered. Um, and sometimes has made some mistakes with that. We'll talk more about that in a second. Anyway, anyway as for Cynthia Calvillo, 9-5-1 overall. She's 1-4 in her last five. Not great. Big dog here sitting at plus 240. Now based out of Las Vegas, 35 years old. 5-4 in height with a 64-inch reach and trades out of Team Alpha Male. Okay, let's jump into the breakdown here. We acknowledge the fact that Godinez should win the fight, right? UFC's giving her a very beatable opponent. I mean, think about the circumstances here. They're giving her a 36-year-old veteran who's been on a losing streak and you know it just it's obvious they're trying to back her up now here's the thing though about Godinez can you really trust her look at these numbers here I'm going to tell you Godinez has been a sizable favorite in her last three defeats not just this fight her last three defeats she was minus 285 minus 225 and then a mopping mop a whopping <laughs> whopping minus 360 in one of those fights and lost all those fights here she is again as a minus rate favorite how can you in good conscience actually bet on her without having flashbacks of those fights. So I think market is completely off on Godinez. Like they just don't know how to price her yet. The numbers are there to show us that. So again, last three losses, which are all pretty recent losses, she was a big favorite in those fights. So here we go again, a big favorite. And for us, we just cannot trust her there. We're gonna pick her to win. We just think like right now, the market for some reason is overvaluing her, right? Now Calvillo's record looks bad. So people are probably thinking, oh, we're gonna fade her, lots of red. 
But once you pop in the film, you notice a few things. It becomes very clear that Calvillo has multiple ways to win this fight, guys. She can win the fight more than one way. One way is at distance. She has the reach advantage. She's the better striker. She actually has a nice jab. She'll have the length and height advantage. She's got pretty good footwork. If you're comparing just boxing, we know Lupita's not a very good boxer. You know, from that standpoint, Calvillo, she's landing 4.16 strikes per minute compared to 2.97. That's math right there. She's landing more strikes. A full, what, strike and a half more per minute. And so with Godinez, unless she's going to come out here like much improved her striking and show a different leaf, we think on the feet, Calvillo gets the best of her. Now, the key for Calvillo is obvious. Keep the fight standing. Godinez has 4.54 takedowns per fight. So we know the fight's going to hit the ground at some point or she's at least try. For Calvillo... 75% takedown defense is not bad. It's not great. It's not obviously, you know, indefensible or impenetrable, but we do think that's going to be a factor here. Can she defend the takedowns for, let's say, two of the three rounds here? Or maybe, you know, Godinez tends to get tired, defend those takedowns early, get her to the later rounds, and it makes it easier to defend those takedowns if the fight gets around two, round three. That's just my thinking, right? Now, for the UFC, they're giving Godinez a layup here. An older fighter on a losing streak, I mean, heck, even after this fight here, Calvillo might get cut. You know, so we see her as, a, as, the, as the narrative. She's the one the UFC wants to win. Now, if you're following this whole narrative thing, right, we've seen some fights recently. Think about Patty Pimblett versus Gordon. Patty lost that fight. Everyone knows he lost that fight. But the thing is, the UFC wanted him to win the fight. <laughs> Judges, ref, everyone's on this big list of employees that fall under this mega company that's now become even a bigger company, right? And so we see a fight like that where Patty gets to win. Macy Barber in Texas, where or maybe Macy Barber versus Miranda Maverick, fights that she clearly lost. You got some judging stuff there in Texas. You had uh, Maglarati, whatever his name is, uh, Dan Mergalati, who's actually a referee. He was one of the judges in Texas for Macy Barber. <laughs> what? Then the guy who, the night before in, in Fury FC, almost got somebody killed as the referee when he was couldn't tell the guy was asleep and the guy's arms were getting broken. Uh, that guy is the next night judging what fight? The Macy Barber fight. Look, these are obvious, direct evidence. This is not like uh, this is not my theory that that guy was the referee the night before, and then all of a sudden, it was not my theory that Mergulata is is a is a referee who's now cameoing as a, as a judge whenever the UFC needs to get something done. These are facts. These are actually evidence that some of this stuff is being tweaked a little bit. Okay, so if we can see Patty versus Gordon be an outright robbery, if we can see Macy Barber getting outright robberies against Miranda Maverick and against Andrew Lee, even bigger venues, high profile situation, this is an undercard. You think they can't work this fight? Of course they can work this fight. It's actually going to be pretty easy for them to work the fight. So we do envision that Cal Calvillo will look like the winner. She'll actually win the fight we're looking at. Just like the Angelique fight, she'll actually win that fight. It'll go to the scorecards, and the judges will give it to Godinez by split. Maybe Dan Mirgalata can judge this fight too. Because he did a great job in Texas. He gave that fight 30-27 for Macy Barber. He gave her every round. Yeah, so maybe he could do this fight. Give it 30-27 for Godinez, even in a fight where she loses every round. But all I'm saying is, you know, maybe that could happen. Something of that ilk, right? Sincerely, guys, we do believe that Calvillo will win this fight on the feet. It'll look better. She'll be the one striking more. She'll have the face of Lupita a little bit red. She'll have the cleaner strikes. She'll win the striking number. And interesting, she'll win the striking numbers, right? The way that people who are rationalizing the way that Macy Barber won last week because of the striking numbers. And then watch Lupita have more ground time or more takedowns and more position control. And now this week, how the narrative is going to be flipped completely upside down. Oh, but she had more control time. That's what she won. Just a moving pendulum all the time with these guys. Anyway, I, I think at this point, we're forced to go with Godinez. We don't have a choice. Uh, we're no longer breaking down mixed martial arts fights 
in terms of uh, a level playing field. That's not what this is anymore. There's the judges. There's the script. There's a p- partnership now with the WWE. There's the fact that this, this whole company, UFC, is owned by an entertainment company. This is entertainment. Okay, There's certain fighters they want to win, certain fighters they don't want to win. And if you think I'm going crazy with my, 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 tw- my, my tinfoil hat here, have you heard of James Krause? It just happened the other day. Fixed fights are happening in the UFC. It's been happening. It's still happening. And some of it's coming from the top down. Okay, so sketchy judging, uh, sketchy uh, judges, <laughs> sketchy people even behind their scoring cards. It's all been prevalent in what we've seen recently. The evidence is in front of us. This fight, and if I'm wrong, I'll be the first one to admit I'm wrong. This fight will look like somebody won, and they will take it from her and give it to Godinius by a split. The spots like from a betting perspective here. Over two and a half rounds, minus 325. Fight goes to decision at minus 275. Godinez by decision at plus 160. And then we'll have to sprinkle the split props because we do the other fight goes to scorecards, gets close, and we have ourselves a split decision. Godinez to win by split. Let's move on. Next fight, heavyweight battle. 265 pounders, Carl Williams versus Chase Sherman. I'm going to make this short and sweet and skip over the details. I, I don't want to spend much time on this fight, guys. We like Williams by decision at plus 130. Sherman's been cut twice before, excuse me, by the UFC. Got brought back earlier this year for a last-minute fight, so the third time back in the UFC. I mean, the guy's not UFC caliber. That's why he got cut twice before. But the thing is, UFC has no heavyweights. They've got guys like Carl Williams fighting a heavyweight, who's not even a real heavyweight either. And, of course, you heard about Francis Ngannou leaving. They're missing heavyweights. You just don't have enough big guys. you got John Jones, used to be a light heavyweight. Now he's heavyweight. So they can't find enough bodies incoming Chase Sherman again. But he's bad. He's not very good. His hands at times look fluid. He's got no heart. Take him down. He'll lay on his back. He'll complain. Go to the corner. He'll cry to his corner. He'll have emotional issues, mental blocks. Just a guy you can never bet on. We've been fading him now for years, and we're thankfully we are doing that because the guy just look. He might be a nice person. I'm talking about what we see here on film. He has no heart. He's got he got he's got mental issues in the octagon. Low confidence, and has been cut. Twice already by UFC, probably gets cut again this year, right? So now for Williams, comes in as a replacement fighter, right? Averages 5.5 takedowns per fight. That's all you have to know. He's going to take down Chase Sherman. He's going to lay his big ass on top of Chase Sherman. He's going to eat up the clock. And at some point, if Chase Sherman just taps just from strikes, I would, I'm talking like tapping from strikes, would not be, Chase Sherman not coming at at the corner after round two would not surprise me. Do not bet a lot in this fight because Chase Sherman is a guy where you can't trust him. If you're going to parlay Williams, I think you're probably okay. But again, late replacement. He's also undersized as a heavyweight. And if he cannot grapple or wrestle, what is he going to do? So it's all wrestling for him. The betting spots are like the, the betting spots like most for this fight are going to be over one and a half rounds, minus 250. Carl by decision at plus 130. And then Carl by knockout plus 200. And by knockout, we mean, again, on top of Chase Sherman. And he's like, oh, I can't get up. I'm mentally a broken man and just like gives up, you know? So regardless of what happens in this fight, at some point, you're going to see my man Williams on top, cutting through Chase Sherman, like a hot knife through butter. And Chase Sherman just sort of giving up. Like, I can't do it. I don't know what happened here. And quite, listen, I don't know how Chase Sherman is still in the UFC. It's it just is what it is. Carl Williams by decision, plus 130. That's my spot here, guys. Let's move on. Next for the card, Gerald Mearshat, the veteran at plus 160 versus Joseph Pfeiffer at minus 200. Middleweight bout. 185 pounders. We like Pfeiffer to win the fight by round one knockout. That's plus 375. Look, short and sweet breakdown for you guys. Mearshot, very good BJJ practitioner. I mean, has what, 15 career submissions on his on his record? A lot of fights, but still, high finish rate by submission. Averages 2.11 takedowns per fight. So, gets a fight to the ground, good wrestling, good takedowns. That's his thing. Problem is, he can't take a punch. If Gerald gets hit, 
by even an average punch to the head, he will get knocked out. He's had issues with durability in the past. Kamzad knocked him out in 17 seconds. Ian Heinish knocked him out. In general, durability is a problem. He's been finished in 12 of his 15 fights that he lost. 12 times in 15 career defeats, he was finished. And so here's a guy where fragility is, I'm not joking about it. The guy is very fragile. Now, can he submit people? Absolutely. Is he a submission guru? Yes. The guy on the mat is going to be like an anaconda for Pfeiffer, right? I get it. But Pfeiffer, he's got knockout power. Here's a guy with a high finish rate. Out of his 10 pro wins, none of those are by finish. And I think all of those, except for a few, were by, uh, by knockout. Here's a guy with good finishing ability. And so if he just touches or glances the, the chin of Mirshat, it's over. Mirshat's going to go down. First round knockout for Pfeiffer. That's what we like. The betting spots we like for this fight overall, under two and a half rounds. That's minus 350. Pfeiffer by knockout, plus 130. And then Pfeiffer by round one knockout, plus 375. Pretty short and sweet breakdown. Again, we don't like to kind of poo-poo on Mirshat. He's a very good fighter, a very accomplished fighter in UFC for a long time, but he's getting along the tooth. He's a bit one-dimensional, and I think Pfeiffer is being set up here for a nice first round, second round finish. He knocks out Gerald Mirshat, exciting fashion. And now, look, Joseph Pfeiffer had a knockout in Contender Series, had a knockout in his first UFC fight. I think it continues on this fight right here. Let's move on. Next up, a female bout. Luana Pinheiro at minus 165 versus Michelle Watterson Gomez at plus 140. A strawweight bout, 115 pounders, so small division here. We like Gomez to win the fight by decision. Yes, Michelle Watterson Gomez, the older fighter, to win the fight by decision. Pinheiro is the rightful favorite, though. We do agree she should be favored. She's younger, has the winning streak, you know what I mean? And let me tell you something about Pinheiro. She throws with some heat. I mean, watch her film. She's putting, like, everything into her punches. And if she lands them the right way, She'll fold up her opponent. She knocked down Sam Hughes a few times. I mean, she's got some power. Seven of her last eight wins have been via finish. is also very effective on the ground. She has four submission wins on her resume. The only weakness we saw from her is that, again, she tends to throw too much. Like, she's going from the hip. Like, it's wild punches. Now, they're aggressive. They can be hurtful. But she's wide open for counters, counter takedowns, counter punches. And also, could that also deplete her gas tank? You know what I mean? So, like, this power punching, nothing is ever, like, uh, a Sean Strickland punch. Like, it's never like a average punch, like little jab. <laughs> Everything is full force power. It's exciting. Yes. But as the fight goes on, she also gets sloppy. Like, round two and three, that powerful punching turns into, like, her throwing weird punches, you know, curling her wrist over and stuff, like, not being technically sound. Now, if you know Watterson, you know that technique is where she's actually, like, that's what she does. She's not a power puncher, not an amazing grappler or submission artist, but technique is her thing, right? So, for Gomez... She's a veteran. This will be her 28th fight now in total. I'm sorry. She has 28 total fights already on her resume. It's be 29 for her. At 37 years old, we get it. You know, she's long on the tooth. It's her final push. A lot of red in her resume. Went four and six in her last 10 fights. We get all that. Had a split decision win against Hill that probably she didn't win. So maybe she should be three and seven in her last 10 fights. I, I get all that. Now, her one major weakness is submission defense. That can be a problem here. So, Vardison Gomez has been submitted three times, including her last fight. And she's fighting this girl, Luana Pinheiro, who is pretty good at submission. So, if you like Pinheiro, I would take a look at that submission prop, right? Now, all that said, we feel it's a better overall striking arsenal from the side of Michelle Waterson Gomez than that of Pinheiro. And so, from that standpoint, if the fight can stand the feet for a long enough period of time, especially after the midway point of the first round, I'm sorry, second round, the second half of the fight, if Michelle Waterson keeps the fight in the feet, She's more technical, and she's landing her front kicks, combinations. Look, I'm telling you right now, Benyero, it's like everything is out here. 
And if you've got Michelle, bam, bam, inside and moving with good footwork, it depends on the judges, how they see it. Now, if Pinedo knocks her down, if Pinedo cuts Michelle Waterson, you know, all bets are off. It's a totally different situation. I'm talking about no cuts, no knockdowns. Maybe even Michelle loses round one, but now we get into round two, it gets close, and then we get into round three, and her last name is Gomez, and we're in we're in Miami. We're not in Brazil. You know, I'm, I'm just saying, you can see the narrative of how next thing you know, it becomes a super close fight, and you've got Gomez with elite striking. Look, the issue is obvious. She's older. We get it. Pinedo's is undefeated prospect, we, but we've seen this before, right? We saw Casey O'Neill. We've seen other fighters who undefeated, big whoopee, and they go in there and fight a fighter who's somewhat experienced and they have a problem. Waterson Gomez is experienced. If this fight plays out for 15 minutes, I'm not trying to happen, but 15 minutes on the feet, I like Gomez. She's sharper. She's cleaning her strikes. She manages cardio better. She's more mature. I think she will separate herself from the scorecards if it goes like that. Now, if it's on the ground where you have Gomez on her back, uh, you know, defending submission attempts, and, and you've you know you've got this girl on top of her, Pinedo like sort of dictating the pace on the ground. We've seen Pinedo do that before. Pinedo can dictate the pace on the ground. She's good. She'll go from submission to submission. She'll transition. If that happens, no, not a good spot for Gomez. But I got a feeling, I got a feeling, Gomez has one more push in her. And at 37, I know some people think she's over the hill and not fighting a very not very much. But this girl she's fighting is also not very experienced. Hasn't really fought the kind of competition that Gomez has. I think Gomez here is going to pull one out. Pull one out of the feather cap. So the betting spots we like for the most of this fight are going to be the fight going over two and a half rounds. That's minus 350. Fight goes the distance at minus 290. Benito into the distance at plus 350. That gives her the chance to knock out Michelle or possibly submit her. And again, she's dangerous in both areas, right? Benito by round one submission is plus 1,000. They're both somewhat dry. Get a takedown. Again, look at some of the prior film of Pinedo. She could submit somebody quickly if she finds them in the wrong spot. And then Waterson Gomez, by decision, is plus 210. We'll also find ourselves sprinkling the split props here because this fight card is just flooded with split pop opportunities, right? These guys might go the full distance. Women's fight, right? It might be close. Someone has some control time. Someone has the better strike. Someone's bleeding. It's going to be so close. We're going to be like peeling back layers, a split decision down the middle there. I like it going towards Gomez, though, and winning the fight as a plus one. 140 underdog. That's our pick. Guys, let's move on. All right. Last fight in the preamp card is going to be Kelvin Gaslam at minus 135 versus Chris Curtis at plus 110. Middleweight bout, 185 pounders. We like Kelvin Gaslam to be competitive here. It should be very close. Probably goes to the scorecards, but we're going to take Chris Curtis by decision. We went back and forth in this fight. There's a way where we can see Kelvin Gaslam winning. There's a way we can see Chris Curtis winning. But ultimately, we just have a lot of questions about what version will Kelvin Gaslam show up, right? Will it be the version that showed up against... Adesanya years ago, will it be the version that showed up against Darren Till? Wasn't so good. And Kelvin Gassim has a strong wrestling background, but he doesn't wrestle. Like, that's a fighter IQ issue. Here's a guy who's been in the UFC for a while. This will be his 26th total UFC fight. I mean, been there for a while. You, former Ultimate Fighter winner. The guy's got a lot to like. There's just a block there. At, at some point, he just becomes too tentative. He will not. He could be down in the final round of a fight, and he still just won't go. And again, against Adesanya years ago, five-round fight, shows good cardio, uh, some level of survivability, right? Very durable. I mean, he had a heel hook loss against one of these guys, but that doesn't really count. Like, not getting knocked out. You like all that about this guy. But he finds a way, my cat here, he finds a way to just underperform. He finds a way to not get it done. And quite frankly, being one in five in your last six fights, it's hard to back a guy like that. And I've heard people say, oh, you know, he's pretty good. You know, don't underestimate him. The only thing he has going for him is narrative. And here's a narrative for you guys. If he were to win, 
and Adesanya were to lose, the UFC would have the perfect opportunity to put Adesanya on a fight night event for a main card against Gaslam later this year. It's like perfect. Like, wow, we have Adesanya, former champion. He's now, you know, he's out of it. He's now lost his belt. Finally, that's over. And put him on a fight night card against Gaslam, who went five rounds with him years ago. So it becomes like about marketing. I could see the UFC saying, listen, close fight, give this to Gaslam. We could use him more. We can give him a fight against Adesanya for a fight night event. It'll actually matter. As a Chris Curtis, who's like an older veteran, what's the next fight for him, right? Just a journeyman type of guy. So there is a narrative there, and I would not be surprised at all Close decision, and Kelvin Glassman somehow gets a split. Just, just putting it out there. Now, which version of Chris Curtis is going to show up? <laughs> Same question for him. He's a guy who, thirsty veteran, tons of knockouts. None of his last 10 finishes have been by a knockout. But then he fought Jack Hermanson and forgot how to fight. He fought Jack Hermanson and forgot how to cut off the octagon. Like, he fought Jack Hermanson and was like, I don't know how to attack this guy. He spent 15 minutes like, oh, I can't fight him. Dude, he never went after that guy. He never went after Jack Hermanson. He sat there like, I can't figure out how to get to him. It's a damn cage. Go go rush his ass. Go after him. Now, either Chris Curtis is not that good. And he's actually that stupid where you could just jog on the cage and he just can't cut off the cage. Like He's just that dumb. Or they paid him. Watch the last fight with him. Watch his last fight. You tell me you can't figure out how to cut off the cage against Jack Hermanson? All of a sudden, Jack Hermanson is becoming like Muhammad Ali. You can't corner him? He was either paid to do that shit or he's just not that good of a fighter. And if he was paid to do that one, pay me again, Chris Curtis, he's saying. Chris, like, I'll, I'll take a dive against Gaslam. I'll pretend like I can't, I can't cut off the cage again. I'll do the same thing for you guys, bosses. Just keep in the UFC, keep paying me. So I'm telling you right now, I think Chris Curtis should win the fight. He's got the tools to win the fight. But mess around and see how what I'm talking about is going to shake it down. How the UFC wants Gaslam to win so they can keep him around. He's won five in his last six fights. He needs a win to justify him keeping him, right? Chris Curtis is a what? One in, nine and one in his last ten fights. He could, he, could, he could take a loss. Company man. Just pay Chris Curtis enough to go out there and pretend like he cannot fight. Like he did against Jack Hermanson. You have Kevin Gaslam. Kelvin Gaslam walking here with a, with a decision. Now, in my opinion, I still do think Chris Curtis should win the fight. I mean, he's the better fighter. His record indicates that. I do not like Kelvin Gaslam's tentative. Like he's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't push the pace, man. Like when it matters, he just sort of uh, uh, accepts it, right? Adesanya, Kananir, Whitaker. The resume is impressive on the side of Gaslam, but he never actually pushes pace there. He accepts everything. So tough fight to break down. I would say be very careful betting here because again, I think the narrative is real. I can see Chris Curtis winning most of the fight, and then all of a sudden. Gaslam by split decision, right? So Gaslam probably squeezes out a split if it's close. Um, I do think though Curtis is the better fighter. I'm not, I'm, you know, I think Gaslam's fighting at a higher weight than he should be. He has discipline issues with his weight. There's rumors that he's having issues with the, the drinking. I, I think he's a guy who like, he fought one good fight against Adesanya and that was it. I, I did it, guys. You see, I went to five rounds with a champion, has never improved since then. He's only shown signs of decline since then. So very surprised to hear people sitting there in the back him this week, unless they've seen the script. Have they seen the WWE script from the UFC with the head, 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 like a, whatever the header, WWE, UFC, who the referee is going to be, make sure that the fight's all marked up. Kelvin Gastelum by split decision. Yeah. The spots like from a betting perspective here are going to be over one and a half rounds at minus 350. Fight goes to decision at minus 200. Curtis by decision at plus 240. And fight goes to a split 
because this fight card is going to be a lot of splits, a ton of splits. You could count the judges being very nervous. I don't, I don't know who won. I couldn't figure it out. I don't know who was bleeding. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, we like Curtis to win the fight, but don't, don't choose a side, guys. Don't, don't bet money lines here. Find the prop that makes sense. It's going to be squeaky close. It's going to be way more dramatic than it should be. And even though I'm choosing Curtis, I could very well see Kelvin Gaslam winning by some kind of a split. So that's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. And we're up to the main card. First by is going to be the young prospect, Raul Rosas Jr., who's only 18. El Nino Problema is his nickname, up against Christian Rodriguez, who goes by C-Rod. All right, I'll tell you now, we like Rosas to win, but I would like him to win by decision. Now, is a submission probably in play? Will he attempt submissions? Is he live for like a round one submission? Absolutely, and you should probably sprinkle some of those props. But we think over the course of three rounds, Christian Rodriguez, look at his resume, never been finished before, not as a pro, not as an amateur, actually has three or four submissions on his resume, has some level of BJJ skills. So we think maybe over the course of three rounds, he could defend those submission attempts, still loses the fight, still gets taken down, still gets controlled, but Rosas finds himself to the scorecards. And at minus 250, I'm going to caution you, we don't know a lot about this kid, okay? So just be, you know, be careful of maybe, let's say, over parlaying a guy like Rosas where only 7-0, 18, uh, we're still learning about him. So on that note, let's jump into this breakdown here. So Rosas is 7-0, undefeated. Rodriguez is 8-1, so both guys, similar amount of experience. Rosas is 18, and Rodriguez is 25, both very young guys. Rosas is 5'9 in height compared to 5'7 for Rodriguez. I don't know if that's accurate, though. I think these guys are both about the same height. Reach-wise, there's an advantage there for Christian Rodriguez. Rodriguez is out of uh, Rufus Sport up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And for Rosas, who's probably of Mexican descent, he's wearing a hat here in his profile picture, like a Mexican hat. He's probably half Mexican, half American type of thing. He's out of Santa Rosa, California. And he's the favorite now. Minus 250 for Rosas, plus 200 for Rodriguez. And yeah, we think Rosas wins. We think it should be a fairly easy win. Uh, but again, caution you just go ahead and throwing money at him, 18 years old, and not having a, a lot of uh, evidence to sort of back it up. All right, here's our breakdown of this fight. For Rosas, 18 years old, a phenom, his second UFC fight, really good submission skills, up to now has been ragdolling his opponents, even on contender series, he won that fight by decision, but dominated the wrestling situation, you know what I mean? Dana loved him on the show. It was quite obvious Dana was going to sign him. It reminds us like of Haley Cowan. It was the same thing. Dana couldn't rationalize why he's going to sign him because the kid won by decision on a contender series, right? And he's very young, maybe send him back, do the whole Bill Nickel thing, maybe go out there for a year. Uh, fight the, I don't know, fight lower level people and then come back. He's only 18, but Dana had his mindset and Dana's a businessman. He, for some reason, he's like, I'm bringing this kid and he did. And then they gave um, him his first opponent was Jay Perrin. So UFC serves him up. Jay Perrin, not a good wrestler. And what happens? Rosas takes him down, submits him in round number one. You can count on the UFC giving him good opponents. These first four or five fights for him, they're going to be all cakewalks. Now, Christian Rodriguez is no, you know, uh, what do they call it? Buttercup or whatever. He's no easy, just, you know, pushover, but he's a terrible wrestler. His wrestling defense is awful. Uh, I.e. Jonathan Pierce, who took him down multiple times, controlled him the same way Rosa's going to do to him as well. But he went to decision with Jonathan Pierce. That's Rodriguez. That is, he shows good submission defense. He's not completely outside of his element on the ground, but Rosa's amazing cardio will keep wrestling for all three rounds. At some point, he will be at least trying submissions. And keep in mind, Rosas averaged 1.3 strikes per minute. Not a high volume striker. All his work is in the clinch, 
on the ground looking for submissions. So, you know, just keep that in mind. For Rodriguez, he does himself have some BJJ skills as well. His last fight, he won by round one anaconda choke. He's actually got three submission wins on his resume. So, just to consider that, on the ground, maybe he could pull off something. You know, if this young man here, uh, Ro Rosas, makes a, a mistake, finds himself in a rear naked choke, all of a sudden... We have a reversal of fortunes, right? Everyone's like, Rosas by submission, Rosas by submission. Next thing you know, got Christian Rodriguez getting a submission as well. So it, it just, anything's possible, right? <clears throat> now, again, for Rodriguez, he got manhandled by Jonathan Pierce. It was obvious if that happens here and Rosas is going to be trying to do it, then it's going to be one-way traffic with Rosa holding him down for all three rounds. Can Rosas, I mean, can Rodriguez actually stop any part of that? I don't think that he can. Rodriguez is skilled enough on the mat to defend submissions, we think, for all three rounds. I think so. I'm hoping so. But that submission is going to be live for Rosas. You know, it's going to be live. Thus, our leading here is going to be leaning towards Rosas by decision. That's where we're at. Now, from the betting perspective, some bets we might be considering here are the over one and a half rounds, which should be priced pretty good because I think the market will be thinking, oh, Rosas by submission, Rosas by early finish, right? So that over one and a half, I think Rodriguez can get there, hopefully, right? Fight goes a distance, Rosas by submission, Rosas by round one submission, and Rosas by decision those are some spots we'll be looking at now we may place a flyer on rodriguez into the distance for two reasons we said before what if this kid makes a mistake he's only 18 gets caught up in his own guillotine gets caught up in his own rear naked choke just makes a mistake it happens all the time even to amazing grapplers and wrestlers who are 30 40 years old this kid's 18 secondly what if he just gets popped a lucky knee, something catches him. We haven't seen him hurt before. And so that Rodriguez into the distance prop, if it's juicy, we'll speak of that as well. That's your breakdown here for the first fight of the main card. We like Raul Rosas Jr. to pull off the win here by decision to open up the main card. Next up on the main card, we've got a welterweight bout, 170 pounders, Kevin Trailblazer Holland versus Santiago Ponzanibio, and Ponzanibio goes by the Argentine Dagger. So we got two fighters here that are a bit veterans, kind of active. You recognize the names. Of course, Kevin Holland's been very active. Last fight against Steven Thompson was quite interesting. But before we get to that, we'll give you the pick right now. We like Kevin Holland to win the fight into the distance. Yeah, we think at some point he's going to break Santiago here. Santiago, very good fighter. Like him a lot. Uh, I can go on and on about how durable he's been over the course of his career, how how good he was coming out of Argentina. But man, he is starting to show signs of deterioration. And so for us here, situation where we think Kevin Holland at some point finds either a TKO or maybe even a submission depends if he decides to do any grappling. We'll talk about that in a second. Anyway, Kevin Holland's 23 and 9 overall, 2 2 and 1 his last five fights. That one no contest was when he fought against Kyle Dalkis. Weird fight, but that was a no contest. Anyway, um, he's out of Texas, 30 years old, 6'3 in height. We'll have a 3-inch height advantage here over Santiago, 81-inch reach compared to 73 for Santiago. It's about 7 to 8 inches there, a reach advantage for Kevin Holland. And Kevin Holland's out of Travis Luther BJJ. A side note, I know some guys like Terrence McKinney and some other really good guys are now down there in Texas helping Kevin to prepare for this camp. So he's got a good stable of guys. And shout out to Terrence McKinney. He's actually moving to Texas to go down there and Work with Kevin Hope full-time. So, anyway, Ponce Debio, 29-6 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights, slowing down a bit out of Argentina, 36 years old, 6 years older, right, than Kevin Holland. And again, a bit of a size disparity there. For Santiago, very good gym, American top team. So, we do like that. Let's get to our breakdown here. So, Kevin Holland into the distance, that's our prediction. Now, for Santiago, quality fighter. Matter of fact, this guy has 39 total fights. You don't have 39 fights in your career this long in the UFC. 
unless you've got some kind of skill level, right? Now, he represents the first generation of Argentina fighters that have made it into the UFC, and he's done a great job. Now, going back, let's say, five fights, go back a few years ago, Santiago was 27-3 and three at the time. Yeah, he was 27-3 a few years ago, now lost three of his last five, and that's why he's now sitting at 29-6. and six. So, obviously, he's slowing down. Now, though Santiago is getting long the tooth, he still carries some punching power. Matter of fact, he knocked out his last opponent, and of his last three wins... I'm sorry, of his last five wins, three of those were by some form of a knockout. His best wins of his career have been over Sean Strickland, by decision, and also Mike Perry. He's got other wins over guys you recognize like Neil Magny and Gunnar Nelson, but uh, I think those are his two most quality wins of his career, and they were a while ago, though. He lost two of his last three fights by split decision to the last three, which is why we're going to have to probably sprinkle the split decision prop here, right? That's also an indication that Santiago is slowing down can't you know finish fights like he used to and going to splits going to close fights right if he cannot finish holland it's our opinion he'll be up against it in round two or three with kevin holland's got good cardio who's younger and good output as for holland this guy's becoming a bit of a folk hero i'm not sure if you heard about his outside the cage uh, i guess um prowess but he's like survived uh some attacks he's gone ahead and you know help people down to police came he's he's helped people that were getting robbed he's been in restaurants where there was a stick up i mean listen he's like the actual like vigilante okay here's the guy who's out there in public doing public service on a serious note brave guy has actually saved some people in some situations that were pretty pretty crazy he seems to be in the right place at the right time so we do commend him for that and when he's not doing that he's putting on a show for the ufc this will mark his second fight since he said he was retiring, by the way. If you guys didn't catch that last year, he was like, oh, I've been so busy. I got my bag. You know, he came in, fought that fight for um, the UFC and some last minute stuff and talked about, yeah, I'm going to retire. And then next thing you know, we see him in there with Steven Thompson. And then we see him here again. Anyway, he likes to fight. Okay. And he also likes the paycheck. So he's back. His last fight against Thompson, we got to talk about this. That was worthy of possibly fight of the year last year. That type of fight. It was amazing. Both went sl both men slugged it out. They went back and forth, stood toe-to-toe. -to -toe. They put on a show. Holland, though, he refused to engage in any kind of a ground fighting. Even when Thompson fell down at one point and you could have jumped on him, Kevin Holland, he just wouldn't do it. So, like, Colin refused to do it because he wants to put on a show. He wanted to, he wanted to have the people get excited. He promised a striking battle, and so he was delivering on it, right? In doing so, he kind of sabotaged himself, though. Like, he's got good submission ability, long arms, and... Stephen Thompson's not good at that. That's how Stephen Thompson lost to Gilbert Burns, right? But, you know, you give credit to Kevin Holland. He's a showman. He's someone you enjoy watching. But can you trust betting on a guy who's willing to, like, say, fuck it, I'd rather look good and lose than go out here and put on a wrestling clinic and maybe kind of slow things down and look bad and win the fight? You know, and look, I give him credit. He's at a high level of sport. He could do whatever he wants to do. He's made a few dollars, you know what I mean? But outside the charisma, which I like, <laughs> Him saving people in public and, and also him being a fan favorite, fan favorite, excuse me, it's really hard to get behind him, seriously, from a Moneyline standpoint. We're not going to be holding any Moneyline tickets here for Holland this week. We'll play some prop bets in this fight, but we're not betting Holland the Moneyline because I think at some point he'll make you pay for these antics. You know what I'm saying? And I think he wasn't even favored in his last fight against Thompson. Maybe if he wasn't favored, it was close to. But in any case, he's the kind of guy, again, he's willing to put on a show even if it means losing the fight. The bets we like for this fight are going to be the fight going over two and a half rounds, fight goes the distance, Holland into the distance, and Santiago by decision. We may even sprinkle the split We may even sprinkle the split props here as well because Santiago went to two splits in his last three fights. Look, Santiago is fairly durable. Okay, He has been finished, but Kevin Holland plays games, man. If this becomes like a circus and we get that over two and a half and we go the distance, that's fine. I have a ticket there for Holland by decision. 
Um, but I just, you know, if I have a Holland by the Sitch, I'm sorry, I have him inside the distance. But yeah, this this could be a fight where things get a little bit squirrely. Now, based on watching film of Holland in camp, Instagram, doing that social media stalking, he looks really busy. He looks great. He's grown his hair out. He looks like he's in phenomenal shape. And he's, he's, a, he's an amazing athlete, right? I just hope if you're betting on him to win this fight, it's all of Kevin Holland. It's him being focused, not making a game of this. Get the win, okay? So we're on Holland to win the fight into the distance for our specific plays and our bets in this fight. Again, please subscribe to our newsletter. It's all in there, totally free. That's linked down below here in our video. The first link, I believe, in our description here. So that's our breakdown for this fight. Let's move on, guys. All right, moving up the card. Next bout's gonna be a Bantamweight fight, 135 pounders, Rob Font and Adrian Yanez, both American fighters. Mr. Font's out of the Northeast, Boston, Massachusetts to be specific. And Yanez is from Houston, Texas. Obviously last name Yanez probably has some Spanish blood in him, maybe uh, half the side of the family's from Mexico. I don't know, I'm assuming. Anyway, Yanez is 16 and three overall, Rob Font's 19 and six. Font coming in here three and two in his last five fights. Yanez is five and oh in his last five fights. Actually had a nine fight winning streak. We'll talk about that in a moment. We like Giannis to win this fight by decision. We'll explain to you why. Probably this pick is going to be a pick that most people will be on because Rob Font is very durable, as we'll document with you here. And Giannis, high finish rate, seven finishes in his last nine fights. We'll talk about that too. But, you know, Rob Font, you know, he's uh, he's tough, man. Took a took a beating from Marlon Vera. We'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, we feel like this fight goes to decision with Giannis landing enough volume, pressure, and pace to get it on the scorecards. As for their basic details, Fonz 35 out of the New England cartel, 5'8 in height, 71 and a half inch reach. He's a slight dog here around plus 150 or so. Uh, for Yanez, favorite here around minus 175. Again, nice long wing streak, 16 and 3 overall, 29 years old. So six years younger. For Bantam weights, you know, 35 is you're about to age out. So the age advantage is definitely with Yanez. Yanez is about an inch shorter. It says here in topology. I don't know if I believe that. I think they're probably around the same height. Reach-wise, there may be a small advantage there for Font, but again, I'm not really sure if that's accurate. And for the gym that Giannis trades out of, he's out of Metro Fight Club. Okay, let's get into our write-up here in this fight. We like Giannis to win this fight by decision. For Giannis, looking for his 10th win in a row, he's 6-0 and in UFC if you count his contender series fight, and he's won five of his last six fights, all those fights in UFC, by knockout. Not by submission, by knockout. And a matter of fact, seven of his last nine fights have been by knockout. So he's not a submission guy, not a wrestler, but he'll knock you the hell out, right? Pace and volume. We like his forward pressure, his cardio, again, his volume. Unless Rob can slow him down, like if if Rob cracks him, hurts him, gets his attention, uh, gets some damage in the face, something like what you saw in round one with Costa. When Costa fought against Yanez, Yanez had his hands full in round one, probably dropped round one. Now recovers, comebacks, and wins in round two, shows you that pace, the pressure, the cardio, good chin. Again, he's probably Mexican. He's got that Mexican sort of DNA. If he's not, I feel like an idiot now, but he, he fights as if he may have some of that Mexican warrior in him, just the way he's able to deal with damage and come forward and whatever else. Um, so we like the fact that he overcame that 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 spot there against um, against Costa. Now, notably for Yanez, right? Seven finishes in his last nine fights, and I think that's going to prove, you know, partially in his future, he'll have more finishing ability all by TKO. Probably is, again, no submission ability, no wrestling, and now he's fighting a guy where where Font, where he's going to hit him a lot. He might even break his hand in that guy's face, but Font has shown you that he can hang in there. Now, for Yanez, does not do any wrestling, right? Zero takedowns per fight, but does have 100% takedown defense. So can we call him a bad wrestler? I don't know what you can call that. No offensive wrestling, put it that way. Now, for Rob Font, he does do a little bit of wrestling, but it's like one takedown per fight. That could loom large 
in terms of a close fight, you get a takedown, some top control. I don't, I'm just I'm just saying, but only one takedown per fight for Rob. And when he starts getting hurt, by the way, Rob, he's forced to back up. Doesn't do any wrestling, as you saw against Marlon Vera. Now, as for Rob Font, impressive wins over Sergio Pettis, right? Pettis was the, is he still current Bellator champion? He's been out for a while with injury. I don't know. He had a belt in Bellator. Uh, Ricky Simone, who's hot right now, looking very good, had a win over, oh, I forgot the guy's name, but the guy from uh, across the pond who's really hot, who now got a win in his last fight. But Ricky Simone, looking very good. He's a win over him by decision. He has a win over Marlon Marias, of course, by knockout, but we've talked about Marias a lot recently, and clearly Marias is... Uh, at the tail end of his career. And he's got a win over Kobe, Cody Garbrandt by decision. He didn't knock out Cody because Cody's another one with some chin issues. But quality wins over people you know. The only caveat is that when he faced these guys, Ricky Simone was still in the come up. Now he's looking really hot. Marlon Marias was kind of done. Cody Garbrandt, I hate to say it, former UFC champ, the best days are behind him. And for Sergio Pettis, same thing like Ricky Simone. Those guys have gotten better since then. So quality wins, but you can sort of explain how some of those wins happen. You, you kind of get what I'm saying, right? Regardless, though, he has fought the better competition if you compare it to Yanez in this fight. Rob's bout versus Cheeto does loom very large for us in the analysis of this fight because we just saw Cheeto fight. And we kind of all have a good grip on what Cheeto looks like and what he does well. You, you could say Rob shows a lot of heart in that fight. It's a five-rounder, gets knocked down in round four, uh, is pretty badly beat up, eats a knee like in round two or three. A lot's going on in his face, showing tons of damage has scar tissue already from prior fights, so he does tend to show damage. Um, unfortunately, even though he's showing a lot of toughness last fight and goes to the full distance against Vera, he took a beating. I mean, he took an ass kicking in that fight, the kind of ass kicking that can kind of change the course of your career or maybe end your career sooner than you may want it to. Um, it was that bad, but he doesn't get knocked out, goes to full distance, so we do give him that. In that fight, he simply couldn't keep up with the pressure and pace of Vera. Now, does that sound weird to you? Like pace, pressure, Vera, volume? Yeah, we just saw Vera fight. He doesn't have a lot of volume. Matter of fact, his numbers show Marlon Vera is not a high-volume guy. But yet, in the fight versus Font, he was just treating him like a standing dummy. And in Font's defense, maybe early on he looked okay. You know, of course, Vera tends, tends to start off slow, excuse me. But then by round three or four, it was just like a boxing clinic. clinic and Vera was just tagging him, and Font, you know, couldn't do much to escape it. In summary, we like Giannis to win the fight. With his volume, his pace, his cardio, the forward pressure, forcing his opponent here to walk off his work off his back foot. Now, we do think Rob has a toughness to survive the fight. We don't have any question about that. So we're not going to throw him down as a guy who's going to get finished here, right? But Giannis busted up Grant pretty badly. Look back at that fight, Davey Grant. He had Davey leaking pretty bad in round two. And I think he's going to have my man Font here leaking as well. Font tends to show a lot of damage, doesn't wear it very well. Giannis has a lot of a lot of volume. Though volume, it should be mentioned, both guys are like six strikes per minute in that range. So volume-wise, they both have high output. I give the edge there to Giannis in this fight. He'll have more of the output, I think. He'll be able to deal with the punches coming back a little better than I think the facial, the face, at least, you know, the visuals. I think Rob's going to be bleeding faster, put it that way. Um, on that note, our bets here, our final spots here for this breakdown. The betting spots we like the most here are the over two and a half rounds at minus 125. Fight goes the distance that... Price is not available yet. Giannis by decision and Font by decision. We're probably going to even sprinkle the split props here. You can sort of keep it, keep it coming down the pipe, right? You got Font, who's got some experience. Giannis can make some mistakes. Next thing you know, we get these close rounds. They've both been to splits, I think, recently. In the case of Giannis, he had to split over Davy Grant. In the case of Font, uh, I might be misspeaking, mis, misspeaking on that, but I do think these guys have the tendencies that they could go to a split here. So those props 
will be on our radar. But again, we like the over two and a half rounds. That's a line currently at minus 125. Fight goes a distance. Giannis by decision and Font by decision will sprinkle those split props. That's our breakdown for this fight, guys. Let's move on. Making our way up the card, next fight's going to be the co-main event. One we look forward to, welterweight bout, 170 pounders, the legendary Jorge Gamebred Masvidal versus Gilbert Durino Burns. Both guys are training out of Florida, so they're not too far from their home base, per se. Of course, Gilbert Burns is from Brazil, and Jorge is fighting at home. He is from Miami. We'll tell you right now our pick to get out of the way. We like Gilbert Burns to win this fight by decision. Probably a, a really popular pick, right? He's the favorite to win. Jorge has been pretty durable over the course of his career. And Gilbert Burns, you know, he's got finishing ability, but if he needs to go to the grappling and the wrestling to get a win here, he probably has that in his pocket. So we're going with Gilbert Burns to win the fight by decision. That prop's not available yet. When it is, it'll be in our newsletter. It'll be on our Excel sheet, so on and so forth. In terms of their basics, you guys know their information. 21 and 5 for Gilbert Burns, 35 and 16 for Miles Fidel. Again, Miles Fidel is based out of Miami. Uh, used to be a street fighter. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. But uh, Masvidal's 38, Gilbert's 36. Gilbert's 5'10", Masvidal's 5'11". Reach-wise, about three inches there on the side of Masvidal. And again, Masvidal trades out of ATT, and you got Burns out of Kill Cliff MMA, so, or Kill Cliff FC. So both very good gyms, both with good training partners. All right, on to our notes for this breakdown. Again, we like Burns to win the fight by decision. Of course, last year, Burns fought Kamzat Shemaev, gained a ton of street credit, a lot of respect, and maybe some new fans. It was a back-and-forth war, and Burns was a big underdog, so no one was giving him a shot. I thought Kamzat would just run through him. I'm going to go to decision in a back-and-forth battle where he displayed a good chin, a lot of toughness, a lot of heart, and also good cardio, right, going the full distance with Kamzat because both guys were pressing each other. Now, the obvious advantage here for Burns is going to be wrestling, right? His ability to take the fight to the ground, averaging 2.03 takedowns per fight. Ironically enough, though, Jorge Masvidal averages 1.44, and I was like, really? I didn't realize he averages almost a takedown and a half per fight. I just didn't remember that, but the numbers don't lie. Uh, yet still, Burns has the wrestling advantage and the grappling advantage, right? Both fighters average around four strikes per minute, but the advantage is on the side of Masvidal. He averages 4.11 per minute compared to 3.42 for Burns. Now, according to the statistics, this fight is headed to the third round because look at their average fight time. For Burns, 11 minutes, 16 seconds. That's more than 10 minutes, I believe, right? And Masvidal, 13 minutes and 32 seconds. Now, some of the Masvidal stuff was affected, obviously, by going the distance with guys like um, Colby Covington and whatnot. But still, we're well into the third round here, but based upon these guys' statistics. Now, if Burns can successfully implement a wrestling-heavy attack, he probably secures a few rounds, eats up some clock, and we see the tick, tick, tick going into round three. I hope so, because I'll be betting that spot the fight starting round number three. Colby, Usman, and Maya all had success against Masvidal with wrestling. Now, those are quality names, but so is Burns. You know, built up the same, the same kind of ilk, right? Like wrestle and grapple. Now, Burns likes to please the fans, though. And here's my concern. If he gets caught up in the booing or the fans wanting it to be a stand-up battle and you've got Jorge Masvidal again at home, so on and so forth, may that play into the hands of Masvidal and end up in a stand-up battle. And now we got Burns out here trying to slug with him. Wouldn't be a good idea. So... Looking now at Masvidal, Masvidal's career started in Miami. He was a street fighter, yes, in the streets there with guys like Kimbo Slice fighting in backyards, was once homeless, living out of his car. Heard an interview with him where he was living out of his car. He had a dog, was showering at like the gym and showering with public bathrooms, wherever he can clean up, and still trying to pursue his fighting career at that point. So he's come a long way. And many of the challenges he faced as a young person, not having a lot of money, coming from 
tough situation have shaped the lethal striker that he has become. Now, Masvidal's knockout power is documented, very well documented. Last five wins have all been by TKO. And of course, we know that one flying knee broke the records for fastest knockout ever when he fought, um, I forgot that guy's name, Ben Askren, right? Okay. Um, now, can he knock out Burns, though? That's the question we're wondering. Can he knock out Burns? Burns took the best from Kamzat. So my thinking is if he took the best from Kamzat, probably can take the best from Masvidal as well. If Masvidal can't knock him out, the question becomes, what's Masvidal's other path to victory? How does he win this fight? Because he's not winning fights by decision. Now, that'll be from Masvidal. He hasn't won a fight by decision in seven years. So kind of hard to predict that would happen. Now, for Burns, has only been finished twice in 26 pro fights. Once by Usman, 2021, ground and pound, and once by Dan Hooker, 2018. So durability is there for Mr. Burns. For Masvidal, he has the proverbial puncher's chance, right? He's got a ch he's got a chance. He's at home. He's in home turf. He's in Miami. I mean, if UFC can script a crazy fight and he gets a knockout at the end of the fight, it'd be good for the brand. It'd be good for everyone, right? But unless Burns falls into the trap of standing and trading, unless he makes a big mistake, he probably has enough tools here to make it ugly, drag down Masvidal, eat up some clock, and win the fight. He did it against Steven Thompson. People didn't like it. It wasn't pretty, but he got the win. The betting spots you like the most for this fight are the fight going over one and a half rounds. Fight starts round number three. Fight goes the distance and Masvidal by knockout. Also burns by decision. I'm sorry. Those props, none of those prices are available yet. I'm sorry. All we have right now is the money line and we have Rehir Burns at minus 450, Jorge Masvidal plus 360. You imagine Burns becomes a very popular parlay piece. Careful with that. I would hone in more on the props, over, over unders, things like that. If you want the full tip sheet for our bets for this entire card, Please subscribe to our newsletter. It's entirely free. Tip sheets free. Tip sheets free. Tip sheet is free. Uh, the link for that is down below here in this video. But subscribe to our newsletter for the full tip sheet. That'll come out like Wednesday, Thursday of this week when all the lines are available. But again, our breakdown here leads us to believe that Gilbert Burns wins this fight by decision. Unfortunately, the crowd is not going to be happy. But that's where the breakdown is. Sorry, guys. We're moving forward. Let's go. And here we are at the main event for UFC 287. We've got Alex Pereira versus Israel, excuse me, Adesanya in their MMA rematch. Of course, though, they've fought now four total times. This will be between kickboxing and MMA. We'll talk about some of those prior fights. For Pereira, he's the current champion defending his belt for the first time against Adesanya. So Adesanya is usually the hunted. He usually has the belt. And now will be the person that's looking to recapture his title. Adesanya is 23-2 overall. Obviously, a very good record, has fought some notable people. His last two losses, Jan Blahovitz got out-wrestled. And then, of course, this fight here with Pereira last year. For Pereira, only 7-1 in mixed martial arts, but hidden behind that for both fighters is a very long career Muay Thai, kickboxing, and boxing. If you've watched Alex train, his hands are lethal. Some kicking, too, but it's with the hands. Punches with a lot of power. Pereira's the slight dog in this matchup. He's from Brazil initially, but he's now based out of Connecticut, where he trains out of the Teixeira MMA and fitness with Glover Teixeira, of course. 35 years old for Alex, 33 for Israel, and for Teixeira, excuse me, I mean for Pereira, these guys are both the same size, 6'4 with an 80-inch reach. They both use length, length well, but neither guy has a size advantage. Now, usually for their opponents, they usually are the taller, longer guys, but in this matchup, they will be the same. For the Nigerian, Adesanya, now based out of New Zealand, said kickboxing, both guys had a very good gyms. For Adesanya, 33 years old, only two years younger. Again, same size, nice record, three into his last five fights. And of course, Israel goes by the last style bender. Okay, enough on the basics of these two guys. You guys have that information available to you. Let's go over 
our breakdown, our notes, and our prediction. We like Alex Pereira to win the fight by knockout in round number one. How do we find ourselves there? A little bit of, at the end, kind of flipping a coin. Even though we're not sure how the fight ends, we're fairly sure it doesn't happen the way it did last time. And I'll draw some, some examples of other fights recently, but the point is, we have a tendency, all of us, to look at the last fight and say, okay, I can see it in round number five again, and, and I can see it going similar. It doesn't usually work that way. It's mixed martial arts. There's tons of variables. This fight in itself, in its own little box, is a totally different fight from what we've seen them in their prior fights. There's different things at stake, a different scenario. One guy is the champion now defending. So just all those factors combined, I expect to see actually a very different outcome. Not necessarily a different winner, but just a different outcome. So with that in mind, hear our prediction and see where we're coming from here. So for Alex Pereira to win by first round knockout, that's plus 1,000. Now, Izzy Adesanya has been rising to start up in the UFC. Last few years have been amazing. Sponsorships, he's lost some of those because of some of his comments, but sponsored by Puma at one point, had a, had a deal with a major car company. Um, you can see him, he's pretty flashy, he's out there. He's no longer the guy who's a prospect from kickboxing. He's now one of the UFC stars, right? Now, during that time, he's enjoyed the riches, the money, and the fame of being a title holder. He's also got a lot of support from fans from Nigeria to New Zealand. Some of that's at stake now, right? He's garnered all the support. He's kind of achieved this high mountain of uh, accomplishments, and no one's been able to take the belt from him. And here comes the evil Alex from kickboxing world coming over and trying to take everything from him. Now, for uh, again, for Israel, originally from Nigeria, he still calls it home, but now based out of New Zealand, out of a really good gym, city kickboxing. Now, like Alex, tons of Muay Thai, tons of experience prior to mixed martial arts. I would even encourage you, if you have some time, go back and look at some of the fighting fights of Israel and Alex from their kickboxing days. Some pretty impressive stuff. That sport, Muay Thai kickboxing, is legit. Those guys hit each other very hard. So you get to see the foundation of how they both fight. Now, for Izzy, known as an elite striker, amazing kicks, you know, flashy kicks, question mark kicks. Wrestling, not so much. Only averaging 0 0.06 takedowns per fight, so no takedowns. But for Pereira, he's like 0.33 takedowns per fight. So neither guy... Much of a wrestler in the in the case of alex he is brazilian so you like to see like some kind of grappling but no he's not much of a grappler anyway surprisingly the striking numbers caught us here off guard we would have assumed that izzy was the one with more output and the higher striking margin between uh punches landed and then punches absorbed not the case izzy lands 3.93 strike per minute and absorbs 2.8 compared to alex who lands 5.23 so alex is actually the one with higher volume that really surprised us we didn't expect to see that stat for Izzy, he's got more MMA experience, has fought the better competition, especially in MMA, of course, right? And then he was winning the last fight. These are all reasons why you could say he probably wins this, whatever, quadrilogy, quadrilogy, quadrilogy. That's the word. Yes, not trilogy. Quadrilogy would become the fourth one. So, you know, he was winning the last fight. He was ahead. Uh, round five, he gets caught, gets finished on the feet. Not an early stoppage, but on the feet. He had it pretty well. This fight, I can't help but to think about the Kamara Usman versus Edwards trilogy situation, right? Because they fought three times, right? Last fight just happened. The comparisons are like, they're out there. For example, Usman is from Nigeria. So is Israel Adesanya. Okay, there's that comparison. Usman was the title holder for a long time. So was Israel Adesanya. Uh, title gets taken away from Usman by a crazy knockout where he was ahead in the fight. He was ahead, just, just like... Uh, Adesanya, and now the rematch comes around, and I think one thing that might be part of this comparison that we have to factor in, what if like Israel comes out and is very tentative? What if he comes out worried about getting knocked out? 
the same way Usman was a little worried about getting knocked out again by Edwards. And by being so tentative, we have Alex winning by a decision. I don't have that prop available to me right off the top of my head. But Alex by decision might be the dark horse here. Again, an outcome that people are not predicting. They might be predicting Alex to win. But you get whatever happened that last fight, that round five knockout, I would get that out of your head. The same way with Usman versus Edwards played out entirely different. I would expect some of that this time. So I would expect, again, just think of being, being outside the box. I think at this point now, there could be kind of something in the back of Izzy's head, like a little bit of a mental block. Don't want to get knocked out again. So let's talk about Alex here. However you put it, Pereira has Izzy's number, right? So you're going all the way back to the kickboxing days. Pereira is now 3-0 against Izzy. More impressively, in their last two fights, one was MMA and one kickboxing, Pereira finishes Izzy, knocks him out in those last two fights. I mean, that is, and to think the line still has Pereira, though, as a dog. It shows you how popular Izzy is, how much people recognize his long run, his UFC experience, so on and so forth. But Pereira, yeah, he's 3-0 and versus Izzy so far, looking to go, you know, 4-0. At this point, I think it's safe to say that Pereira knows what it takes to beat Izzy. Has that question been answered? I mean, that's why even if Pereira, let's say, win this, wins this fight as a slight dog, it's surprising that there's no, there's not more momentum behind him already. Like they've fought three times. He's he's knocked him out in the last two fights. He definitely knows what it takes to beat him. So, you know, that question's been answered. Just like Izzy, they both use a Muay Thai stance. Him and Pereira both, they stand very tall, like to kick, like to bang on their feet. Would be shocked if anyone even goes for a takedown or the fight gets to the ground. Though I would say this, if one of them wanted to mix it up, I think it's Pereira more because remember, he's training with Glover, Glover Teixeira, right? A really good grappler. You see him in videos working underground stuff. He's from Brazil. If he can get a takedown, man, that could change the dynamic of at least one round, you know? So the big difference between Pereira and Izzy, the really big one, they're both good strikers, elite, whatever, but power. Pereira hits with a lot more power. You can see it if you just watch their fights. You can see it if you just watch this crazy man Pereira in the gym just slugging, slugging bags. Now, for example, Alex has won three of his last four fights by a TKO. Looking at Izzy, he's won three of his last four fights by decision, including three of his, his last three wins have all been decision. So clearly for you know Pereira, he's hitting a little harder than uh, what Izzy does. And I think even Izzy would acknowledge that. Like Izzy's got good combinations, and but doesn't have the power behind his punches like Alex does. Um, cardio, that's one concern we do have for Alex. So we've seen him have cardio problems in the past, going way back to when he fought against Quamelo uh, Tani, a guy we re recently talked to and interviewed. He fell apart in that fight, got tired, looked tired in the fight against Israel last fight, and at times, you know, just look fatigued. Now, with that said, does carry his power, right, all the way to end of the fight because he gets a knockout in round five, you know? Um, should mention this, Alex cuts a lot of weight. He's He goes like 30 pounds different from like day before the fight to, to fight day, cuts a lot of weight. I'm wondering if those massive weight cuts are contributing to the endurance issues and cardio issues. I'm wondering from afar. I'm sure he's got trainers and people that are helping him to deal with that. Um, but all that said, his power again did carry to the end of this fight and it, you know, it should be noted. Now, Alex's striking numbers are better than Izzy. We talked about this before. We cannot rule out the possibility of Alex by decision. Matter of fact, let me just pull it up right here since I have it in front of me. But Alex by decision would be plus 540. Needs to be on the radar somewhere because what if, again, Adesanya comes out and is very defensive-minded and worried about getting knocked out the same way that Usman was, right? 
Each fight's different. These circumstances for this fight are entirely different from the prior fights. So keep that in mind. I would not paint this vision in your head. Round five knockout, knockout by Pereira. Could it happen? Yes. I think it's something different. Um, could Izzy come out here and put on a clinic and look good with a striking battle? Uh, tire out Alex? Uh, go away with a win on the scorecards? Yeah. Yeah. But consider this. Alex's confidence is at an all-time high. He came from kickboxing land, chased down Izzy, all this hype behind him. People are like, oh, man, why did he get a title shot? He, he's, you know, brand new. only has a few fights, whatever, whatever. Then he gets a title, wins. Let's say he just comes out here in this scenario and just bullies Izzy early, comes right at him, walks through anything that Izzy has to offer because he's not really respecting Izzy's power anyway. And he walks down Izzy and just starts throwing the heat at the body and stuff. Look at his videos. I mean, he just throws with so much heat. Connects one or two times, folds up at Izzy early on, first round knockout, that's sitting at plus 1,000. That's kind of what we're seeing in our head. Um, that's the outside the box scenario. Um, but needless to say, we're on Alex to win the fight. We think he keeps the title. There is a chance there's a turnover of the guard or a turning of the guard or a new guard, right? Shevchenko loss. You've seen Volkanovski lose. Ningano just said, I'm out of here. So... It's time for the new faces. Now, Pereira's not much younger than Izzy, only two years younger, but yeah, I mean, it just might be time for Izzy. Now, it's not time to retire. I'm just saying it might be time with, with, with you know, withhold the, the title, hand it over. It's time for the new guard. So it's what it is. Let's talk about the bets here we like. We like the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 245. If you're talking about a distance prop, fight starting round three at minus 350. Adesanya by decision at plus 180. And then Pereira, anytime knockout at plus 230. Now, obviously, some of those props there are going against our prediction. Our prediction is more of, again, it's we're thinking out of the box here. This should be different in some way how we're taking a stab at that different way. But if you're looking to be more conservative, I do think the fight gets a few rounds. I, I can see Adesanya again being very hesitant, looking to get this fight to round two or three, be smart. Um, he's, again, lower output, more patient. He'll reach out, grab the hand and stuff like that. That's how we could see him winning the fight. And by decision, plus 180 is not bad for Adesanya. But man, 15, 20, 25 minutes, five rounds with Pereira, and he just needs one or two hard shots. At some point, that plus 230 number looks pretty good there for him by a KO. That's your breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Let me know what you guys think down below. Give us some comments. You know, who are you betting on and why? And if we have some time, we'll try to respond to those comments before fight day. All right, guys, good luck with this fight. Let's move on.